had gone out from the land of Egypt. On that very day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. There Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Okay, God had called old covenant Israel out of Egypt, and he had brought them to the holy mountain, and here he is going to be entering into covenant with his people. And notice he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice. Now these words should sound familiar when we read the New Testament passage today. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kingdom of priests, a holy nation, my treasured possession. If you will obey my voice. All right. Turning over now to Second Peter, First Peter's two rather, where we will be looking at this morning. And like I said earlier, the first three verses of this chapter two is addressed to individual Christians, and then beginning in verse four, it would be to the church because these individual Christians come one by one as a living stone to be placed in the temple of God. So we're going from Old Covenant, which is what Mike just read to us, to the New Covenant, which is, uh, I think, Dana, I think I asked you to read this, uh, verses 4 through 10. Yes, verses 4 through 10, and this is what we will be looking at today. We looked at it some last week. We'll hopefully finish it up this week. And come unto him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and the stone of stumbling and a flock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Okay, verses 9 and 10. Oh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into, into his marvelous light. For 
For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, verses 9 and 10 sound an awful lot like um, Exodus 19, don't they? Okay, now, as we are looking through these verses, we saw last week that Jesus Christ is the living stone. Each of us is a living stone, and we are being placed in the temple as a spiritual house, being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and then to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we have all of this as old covenant ideas applied to the church. And that Jesus Christ, that God laid in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And the cornerstone that is chosen and precious is who? Okay. All right, Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame or be disappointed. And then we lead, read later, just a verse or two later, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Jesus was rejected by the builders. That would be the leaders, religious leaders of the time. But he becomes the cornerstone in the New Testament temple. And he is also, for those builders that rejected him, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And we look back in there and this new covenant temple, this precious Son of God that has been rejected is going to crush his enemies. They are going to be ground to powder. All right, so we're talking about laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, a stone that the builders reject, a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense to them. All right, now, in your notes there, it says Jesus, and then I have three points there, that uh, Jesus, as the cornerstone, was prophesied in the Old Testament according to Psalm 118 verses 19 through 24 if you want to go there um, it was basically yeah I handed those out last week I don't have any more of them so Jesus as a cornerstone was prophesied in the Old Testament I don't think you have that. Did I sign that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 118, verses 19 through 24. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go unto them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. All right. So there we see that prophesied by um, the psalmist 
here in Psalm 118 that the stone is going to be rejected and he's going to become the cornerstone. I'm just going to read to you out of Isaiah 28 this morning. Um, verse 16 is also a prophecy. Isaiah 28:16 tells us, O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them, which is not the correct verse. Um, no, that's 26.18, yes. 28.16, yes. 28.16, here we go. Uh, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, whoever believes will not be in haste. So, in several places in the Old Testament, this was prophesied. All right? And then Jesus states that he would fulfill this prophecy according to Matthew 21, 37 through 44. And I believe, Val, you have that if you'll read that to us. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come. Let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those fine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you ever... Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. All right, Jesus is telling these religious leaders that you read in the Old Covenant that the stone that the builders rejected is going to be the chief cornerstone. As you're looking at him now, I am him. I am the one that was prophesied several times in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and because I am him, and because you're going to throw me out of the vineyard, the kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to faithful people. So Jesus says that he has fulfilled the prophecy and then it was proclaimed by Peter to the Jews later that Jesus did fulfill the prophecy in Acts 4 verses 10 through 12. We'll have that read now. Peter says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Alright, Jesus has said he was fulfilling that prophecy, and Peter confirms that after it's happened, that the prophecy had been fulfilled. <clears throat> 
Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and of course, Peter says it again here in 1 Peter chapter 2. And now here, Peter is telling the recipients that they are living stones, coming to the prophesied cornerstone, and being placed in the current temple of God. Okay, the temple will grind its enemies to powder, and it is important to Peter for them to know that their their future compared to their persecutor's future. Peter says, you're a temple. You're the new covenant temple. You have all these great and precious promises that were given to the people of the old covenant. They were unfaithful. They're taken away from them. They've been given to you. So you need to realize these people that are persecuting you, that are giving you such a hard time, you're in that temple. And it's, they're going to crush the unbelievers, their persecutors, to power. So, um, it appears to me that the church will be victorious because they are being built up and they're being built up to crush the their persecutors. Okay. All right, now, looking back up at verse 5, he tells the people of the... These people, the dispersion, that they are becoming a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. This is so that they could offer up to God acceptable spiritual sacrifices, and this corresponds with the Old Covenant, especially if you read through the last part of Exodus and Leviticus. It corresponds to the tabernacle or the temple the Aaronic priesthood, and the bloody sacrifices. Those were instituted in the Old Covenant. And Peter has taken those concepts and transferred them to the spiritual house of God. So in your notes it says, so we see the great continuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant people of God. I mean, there's no equivocation in here. It is so obvious that the church has become the new Israel. They are the covenant people of God. There's no equivocation at all in here. And they're going to win. All right. Now, in verse 9, Peter continues to show that his recipients are the true people of God. Keep in mind Exodus 19.5 which says you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, Michelle if you will look up for us Deuteronomy 7, 6, and 10, 15. And in Bud, Romans 9, 10 through 13. Deuteronomy 6, which verses? 9, excuse me, 
Deuteronomy 7, 6, and 10, 15. Okay, now, these people are now in your notes. Um, Well, we see here that according to the inspired apostle, the Christian church has inherited the privileges promised to the Old Testament people of God. David so in communion, in common, excuse me, with the nation of Israel, they, according to these verses, they have been chosen, they're a royal priesthood, they're a holy nation, they belong to God, and then they're to proclaim his excellencies, and they have received mercy. All of these things that the old covenant people of God were supposed to do, they are supposed to be. They are. And the idea, and he notes, they are now close to God. Remember in Ephesians 2, you who were once far off, he's brought near. Who is able to get close to God in the Old Covenant? Who is able to get real close to God? Moses. The priest. And Moses was a priest. Yeah, only a very select few. I mean... Priests were not a dime a dozen. You had to be of the family of Aaron. So the priests were able to get close to God. They could come in the holy place and minister to God, offer sacrifices, uh, things of that sort. And then once a year, the high priest was supposed to come into the holy of holies and there offer up the uh, the blood. Uh, on the mercy seat once a year. Okay. So, they're now close to God. They've been called out of darkness to be close to Him in His marvelous light, just as the old covenant Israel was. They have now received a great status, and now they have great responsibilities. The uh, Israel of old, they had a great status, They never carried out their responsibilities. We have a great status and we have responsibilities to carry out. All right. They have been chosen or elected. Any notes there? Chosen or elected. And this was the same with the people of the Old Covenant according to Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 10, 15, if we'll have that read For you are holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. So they were really special to God. Really special. All right, and then 1015. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all people, as it is this day. Okay. All right, now, Israel was chosen, but it was not because of anything in them. It was God's mere good pleasure, as we'll read in Romans 9, 10 through 13. Now, we'll start with uh, verse 9. But this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, I will quote Father Isaac. 
though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of her works, but because of his call. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. For some reason, God loved Jacob and hated Esau. And it wasn't anything in either one of them, but it was that God's purpose according to election would stand. So we are in the same boat. By grace you have been saved through faith. Nothing in you that would move God except for His love. So we have the doctrine of election. This is your notes. This doctrine of election which is hated by many professing Christians, is clearly confirmed in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Peter teaches it at the very beginning of this epistle. You remember back in the first verse we read, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles and then according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So the doctrine of election, which humbles us, is clearly taught both to the old covenant Israel and to us. Now, I want to read a quote by Clowney in his commentary on 1 Peter. Um, Edmund Clowney. Some commentary here. Did you have a question? Well, okay. I did. On the topic of election, would you comment on going back up to uh, verse 8, the phrase, they stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed? Yes, I'm going to. I've got it in my notes. I'll be coming to that. That's um, two questions I've had on it. But yeah, we, we will get to that, I promise. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah, I'm not going to leave that out. Don't worry about that. Okay, uh, now the quote by Clowney is, In the Old Testament, therefore, presents an election within an election. Israel is chosen but is unfaithful to its calling. Jesus comes as the elect one, the beloved son of the Father, and he fulfills the calling of the servant of the Lord. The elect whom Peter addresses is chosen in Christ, who is foreknown before the creation of the world. As Paul tells us, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Not the son of the flesh, but the son of the spirit inherits the promises of God. Those who are united to Christ are those the Father has given him. The good shepherd holds them forever in his hand. Okay. Um. Now, I want to go back to the question that is, I was asked. <clears throat> and we do keep coming across this idea of election. And we have also seen that Peter refers to reprobation in verse 8, which y'all have asked me about. Therefore, election and reprobation are clearly taught in the first couple of chapters in this epistle. Reprobation is God's passing over sinners and just leaving them in their sin. 
Alright, it says they were appointed. Let's see. They stumble because they disobey the word as which they were destined or appointed to do. Now, all men deserve the wrath of God forever. So all men are destined to do that because of their sin. But God in His grace and His mercy does choose some. Now, He's not sending these people to torment or to hell because they for anything. Okay, a lot of people will tell you and they've told me that the theology that I claim to believe says that we that people are sent to hell because God doesn't elect them. Or people are sent to hell because they've never heard of Jesus. Or people are sent to hell because they've never been able to read the Bible. Are people sent to hell because they've never heard of Jesus? <clears throat> I got a no here. No. I know. Yeah, well, they, for some reason, we are, we have the reputation of teaching that people are sent to hell because they've never heard of Jesus. I want to read you out of our confession, chapter 3, verse 7. Um, the divines had just talked about God appointing the elect to salvation in the previous 3.6. Now in 3.7 it says, The rest of mankind, God was pleased according to the unsearchable counsel of His own will, whereby He extendeth or withholdeth mercy as He pleaseth for the glory of His sovereign power over His creatures to pass by. So God passes by those he doesn't elect. And to ordain them to dishonor, God ordains them to dishonor, and wrath for their sin. That's why they are appointed. For their sin. Not because they've never heard of Jesus. Not because they don't have a Bible. Not because God doesn't elect them. But it's because of their sin that they suffer wrath. That's why they are appointed to this. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. God predestined some to hear and believe and the rest are passed over and appointed to perdition. So God ordains them to dishonor and wrath for their sin to the praise of His glorious grace. And one of the proof texts used are, is 1 Peter 2.8. Okay, anything else on that? And these, like I said, I believe these are talking about just those that are persecuting the dispersion, but it is true for all people. All right, if we don't have... Anything else? Um, Joshua, I'll ask you this morning if you'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day.